Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Hi, listeners. Hi, Heather. Hi. Welcome to part two of the discussion on EQ. Before we get to that, though, it's time for this month's disc analogy. Since June is the month for dance recitals, I'm going to compare disc factors to dance styles. My daughter is a competitive dancer, so I did have some assistance from her with this one. High D is tap dancing. Strong, loud, decisive. High I is jazz. Engaging, performative, and of course, jazz hands. Perfect for those hand-talking high eyes. High S is contemporary, reflective, steady, not rushed. And high C is ballet, which is precise, disciplined, and structured. Okay, let's jump back into EQ, emotional intelligence. If you missed part one, you may want to give it a listen. Last time I focused on explaining facets of EQ like self-awareness and empathy and the difference between high EQ and high IQ. Today, I want to focus on the role that emotions play in creating our mood and what impact our mood can have on how we perceive and are perceived by others and how that can affect the way decisions are made. Most of the information that I'll be discussing today comes from Professor Mark Brackett, the author of Permission to Feel. Mark is also the founder and director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. He's the lead developer of the Ruler Concept, which I'll get to, that is now being used by thousands of elementary schools worldwide. Some businesses have also incorporated it, and when you hear more about it, I think you'll see why. Prior to the 1990s, scientists, researchers, even psychologists were focused on cognition versus emotion. This ties back to the last episode, when I looked at how it was all about IQ, and EQ really wasn't even recognized. Scientists traditionally avoided the study of emotions because they couldn't be measured by standardized tests like intelligence could. Now, this is because IQ focuses on cold cognitive processes, such as remembering a strand of digits or a bunch of facts, which is easy to test, whereas EQ relies on hot social, emotional, cognitive processes that are often highly charged, relationship driven, and based on evaluating predicting, and coping with the feelings and behaviors of ourselves and others. Throughout most of the 20th century, there was still a debate on whether emotions were associated in any way with logical thought and intelligent behavior. As the century went on and into the 1970s, there was still a strong cognitive bias, but emotions were coming into play. However, emotions were just viewed as noise. The belief was that we all had emotions, but they didn't predict anything important. And as I referenced on part one, it wasn't until the 1990s when emotional intelligence was recognized. This seems shockingly recent, doesn't it? It's hard to believe that the debate was ongoing until that point, for me anyway. By the 90s, psychologists found that there is a cognitive loop that connects mood to judgment. Studies showed that subjects who were in a good mood recalled happy memories more easily, and those in bad moods recalled sad memories. If you think about this in your own life, 
you can probably remember times that this has happened. I know I can. How about you? You know, I hadn't thought about this until just now, but I can actually think of a time just last week when this was true. We had had our first bonfire of the year and we had a few friends over and it was so relaxed and fun and we reminisced about music we used to listen to and Mm. concerts we used to go to. And I don't spend a lot of time away from my laptop or my phone, but it was a time where it was like three solid hours where it was just fun and happy memories. And it literally lasted for days afterwards, that mood. Ah, that's incredible. And you know what? I was thinking something along the same lines. So for me, when I'm having dinner with our close friends and, you know, we're out at a nice restaurant, we're enjoying the food, the ambiance, their company. Okay, maybe some cocktails. We inevitably end up reminiscing about treasured memories from vacations that we've taken together. So our happy frame of mind begets our shared happy memories. And in those moments, it's easy to see life through rose-colored glasses. Now, let's cut to the following work week, and there's a deadline looming and problems to be solved. Those glasses aren't quite as rosy now, are they? Gordon Bauer, a cognitive psychologist at Stanford University, ran a series of studies where the subjects were hypnotized to feel either happy or sad, and then they had to perform three tasks. First, they had to recall lists of words, then write entries in a diary, and finally, remember experiences from their childhood. The group who were hypnotized to feel sad recalled more somber memories, selected more negative words, and remembered more unpleasant events for their diaries. And of course, the opposite was true for those in a happy mood who recalled positive words and memories, just like me with my friends at dinner and just like you at the bonfire with your friends. Another study made a similar connection to professors grading papers. Their mood was directly correlated to the marks they assigned. Yikes. This is a bit scary, right? Does this mean we were at the mercy of our profs' moods for our marks? You know, maybe I can use this theory to explain away some of my less stellar grades. But I digress. By the late 90s, neuroscientists, psychologists, and intelligence researchers all agreed that emotion and cognition work in conjunction. This is why EQ is so important. Now that this connection has been established and we know our emotions impact our decisions, being cognizant of our feelings is vital. Self-awareness is the key. Let's dig a bit deeper into this. When making decisions, there are two types of emotions. First, we have integral emotions. They're caused by the action at hand. So feeling nervous when taking an important test, joyful when celebrating a milestone, These are very appropriate to be feeling under the circumstances, and they are directly connected to the moment. The second type is called incidental emotions. These are interesting because they have nothing to do with what's going on in the moment, but lingering feelings of frustration or anger or sadness that infiltrate our thinking without us being aware. Let me give you an example. Let's say you had an argument with your spouse in the morning. Or your child was upset and didn't want to go to school, but you had to drop them off in a torrent of tears, that's going to impact how you show up to the rest of your day, isn't it? This doesn't mean that those feelings have to derail your entire day, but the impact it has shouldn't be discounted. Continuing the example, you get to work after the highly charged morning and you have a meeting, and your boss or perhaps a coworker challenges one of your ideas. 
you're probably going to feel a little bit differently about it than you would if your morning was positive or carefree. So when you're reacting to their feedback, you're most likely carrying some of the emotion of your morning with you. And this can cause an amplification of your feelings and perhaps an overreaction. I think we can agree that this happens to all of us. But is there something we can do to check our emotional state and come into that meeting with an abundance of self-awareness? Mark Brackett developed a tool called the Mood Meter, which helps to determine how one is feeling. Now, if you want to check this out, you can go to markbrackett.com. It's M-A-R-C-B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T.com. And you know, there's even an app that you can download, which is really cool. But in the meantime, as I'm talking about it, to help you visualize this mood meter, I want you to picture a square that has four quadrants. The top left is red, the top right is yellow, the bottom right is green, and the bottom left is blue. Do these colors in that order remind you of anything? I'll let you think about that and I will get to it shortly. The meter uses two dimensions to define our emotions. Pleasantness and energy, which are represented graphically as a vertical axis for energy and the horizontal axis for pleasantness. The top left quadrant of the mood meter, which is red, represents unpleasant, high energy emotions. For example, anxiety, rage, frustration. Beside that, on the top right quadrant, which is yellow, we have pleasant, high energy emotions like joy, excitement, empowerment. Moving to the bottom half, in the right quadrant, which is green, we have pleasant, low-energy emotions, calm, contentment, balance. And finally, the bottom left quadrant, blue, is unpleasant, low-energy emotions, such as disappointment, sadness, loneliness. Okay, great. So what do we do with this information? With this tool, you can plot how you are currently feeling along the scale, which goes from negative 5 to plus 5. Negative five on the vertical energy axis would represent feeling extremely low energy, okay? And then zero would be neutral. And plus five would be the most energetic we've ever felt. Picture a puppy or a toddler here, and you'll get what I'm saying. Accordingly, on the horizontal, so this is the pleasantness axis, negative five would represent the most unpleasant and sad we've ever felt. Zero would be neutral and five would be the most pleasant and joyful we've ever been. So in the example I gave earlier, if you're heading into that meeting after your rough morning, and you take a moment of mindfulness and plot your coordinates, so to speak, you may realize that you are feeling a negative three on the energy scale, maybe a zero or plus one on the pleasantness scale. Having the presence of mind in that moment and the awareness to know that you are going into that meeting at an emotional deficit, if you will, will help put your feelings into perspective and allow you to navigate that meeting more successfully. The application that Professor Brackett uses with the mood meter is called RULER. It's an acronym, and here's the breakdown. R is recognizing. So recognizing the occurrence of an emotion by noticing changes in your thoughts, energy, how your body's feeling, or in someone else's facial expression, body language, tone of voice. Where are you on the mood meter that day? Take the time to plot your energy and your pleasantness along the scale. The U is understanding. Understanding what caused you to feel that way. So here's where integral versus incidental emotions come into play. There may be nothing overstimulating or upsetting in the moment, but you could be experiencing lingering feelings from something unpleasant earlier in the day, 
Knowing this allows us to make better predictions about our own or other behavior. L is for labeling. What word best describes your feeling? Okay, so for here, I am going to put a pin in this because I want to get into a deeper discussion of this in a future episode. The reason is it turns out that many of us can't specifically identify more than a few emotions at any given time. For those of you who are fans of Brene Brown like I am, she's done some groundbreaking research on this, and the average amount that people could name was three. In all the emotions in the world, the average was three. Happy, sad, and angry. So in Brene's latest book, Atlas of the Heart, she identifies, get ready, 87 emotions. Wow, right? You can see why this needs to be a deeper discussion. (laughs) But for the purpose of understanding labeling, I want to use a quote that Brene references in her book. It's from philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. And he says, the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. This really stopped me in my tracks, and I read it several times. It made me consider the truth and really the sadness in that. How can we reduce the complexity of everything we experience into a few emotions? Being able to correctly label an emotion helps us to communicate our feelings effectively, which in turn helps reduce misunderstandings and social interactions. Pretty important stuff. Okay, for E, we have expressing. How are you showing this feeling to the world? Do you think your face, body, voice, and actions are representing this emotion? Do you think the way you are expressing your feelings is helpful to the situation you're in? Knowing how and when to express our emotions, depending on the setting, the people we are with, and the larger context. You'll often hear, not the time, not the place for this, be it the conversation, that type of language, etc. Finally, R is for regulating. Is your current feeling helpful? If so, what will you do to keep it going or get more of it? How about if it's not helpful to the situation at hand? It doesn't mean you're going to ignore the emotion, but rather learn to accept and deal with it and employ strategies to manage your own emotions and help others with theirs. Within the ruler framework, the first three skills of recognizing, understanding, and labeling help us to identify and decode what we and others are feeling. The last two skills, expressing and regulating, help us manage the emotions and achieve our desired outcomes or goals. That was a lot of information. I thought it might be fun and enlightening to share my coordinates on the mood meter today. And Heather, if you're okay with it, I'm going to ask you to share what yours are. Yeah, absolutely. So I have the app actually. Okay. And that's good because I have, just so everyone knows, there is an app, but I have never actually downloaded the app. I just use the visual that if you go and check this out and this information is linked in the show notes, uh, you'll be able to go and have a look at what that looks like. So that's what I do, which is probably more old school. And Heather actually has the app. So yes, Heather, I would be very interested to hear your experience with that. Well, it's interesting. I did it this morning. Uh, You reminded me when we were going to do this episode. So I looked it up and I thought, oh, this is great. It reminded me again when you were talking about labeling because I went through the app and I was having a difficult morning. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, where am I on this? And the interesting thing in the app is as you move through it on the different axis, it labels feelings or emotions for you. So if you move it up, Mm -hmm. it's frustrated Mm -hmm. and it says words like furious, tense, angry. If you move it down, You know, a little bit in the red quadrant, it's worried, apprehensive, concerned, irritated. So I also have read Brene's book and it's 
fascinating, yeah. yet it's a lot to try to like <laughs> dig into, right? Because yeah, I use this as an example all the time where it's like, am I envious or am I jealous? <laughs> like that's mm, one of the oh, ones that stuck out in the book, right? Yeah. So to circle back to the app, I was like, yes, I am feeling frustrated. And so the app right. actually, I think, gives you a little more detail. I haven't referenced yes. the website itself, but uh, right. long story short, this morning I was feeling frustrated based on my mood meter. Right. Probably because you were woken up at 4.30 in the morning, I guess. <laughs> there was a few factors involved for sure. But then interestingly enough, I, I went on again uh, right before we were about to record. Right. And my mood's completely different. Hmm. And so I do think that it brought forward some, like you were talking about earlier. Yeah. I recognized that maybe I wouldn't be great in recording today because I was frustrated huh. this morning. But yeah. then I almost had like an inspired. It basically pulled up the word inspired for me as oh. we were going into recording. But I think that also has to do with the fact that I look forward to recording these with you. Oh. So, well, that's awesome. That's a long, convoluted, uneducated conversation no. about it. But that's my experience with it for sure. Yeah. And I find that fascinating because then the part plays into it. Do you think that the fact that you took the time for that mindfulness and that you sort of wanted to go in and label that emotion correctly and you had the foresight to say, oh gosh, like maybe I'm not going to be great. But do you think that that itself might've even changed the outcome of how you were feeling? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'll admit sometimes I can be aware of how I'm feeling and not care. That <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In a meeting earlier today where I'm like, I am on fire right now. It's right, not beneficial. Right. So I recognize that even though I'm aware of how I'm feeling, I don't always act yeah. the way I should in those scenarios. Well, thank you. I think that was very honest <laughs> of you to admit that. And you know what? I'll, I'll cop to that too. I, there's times where you're like, yeah, I feel a edgy. You know, and EQ is all about, again, knowing the time and place. Yeah, like probably not always the best at dialing that in with our spouses. But most of us when it's work, we're like, Oh, maybe I need to reconsider. And you know, it's funny. So for me too, knowing we're going to record it this morning, I thought, Oh, wow, I gonna have to track my mood meter today, because I woke up, I'm tired, I had a late night. So back to the beginning of the episode where I talked about June being the month of dance recitals, my daughter had her dance recital last night. So it was a very late night. And it was sort of a big milestone moment, a lot of emotion involved there too. And so not only a late night, but very happy, sad, bittersweet emotions. And I can even, I'm just hearing it now in my voice, sounds a little gravelly. So in terms of the energy uh, today, I would say that I don't have the most energy. So it's not terrible. It, same thing with you. It's better than I expected. So I don't know if me just having that moment of thinking about it has helped. But I would say it's probably maybe negative one, zero for the energy and the pleasantness, again, because I'm doing this and I love doing this, the pleasantness is, again, better than I thought. So I'm going to say maybe three or four for pleasantness. That's how I checked out. Listeners, if you want to get in on this or figure it out, again, you can check out the site I mentioned or like Heather has used the app. It really is going to help you put the way you're feeling into perspective. And make sure that you're really showing up as your best self, being self-aware. Okay, now that we've chatted about that, here comes the DISC link. By now, most of you know I have to make everything about DISC. Here's the connection with this one. I'm fascinated that the four quadrants in the mood meter are displayed in the exact same manner as the four DISC quadrants are. 
and it doesn't stop there. The energy and descriptors of each are super similar. The top left quadrant in the mood meter is red, and it's high energy, which totally correlates to high D being very externalized, strong behavior. The top right quadrant is yellow, which is also the positions and color of high I, and the energy is outgoing and positive. The bottom right quadrant is green, just like high S, and it's a lower energy, more calm and reflective. And finally, the bottom left quadrant is high C blue, which is also lower energy and introspective. Over COVID, I was lucky enough to take an online course with Mark Brackett. So he ran it, he facilitated it. It was almost like a book club, but deep dive into it. As I mentioned, this is used a lot in school. So there was a lot of educators, some coaches, trainers on, and he went through ruler and the mood meter. We were invited to send in questions. So of course, I had to ask if there was a correlation with DISC, but there were so many questions that he couldn't get to them all. So I will keep on my search for an answer to this. Let me tell you, there's my highest tenacity coming through. Maybe we'll have to reach out to him with this podcast launch. See if we can get an answer. Absolutely. Mark Brackett, if you happen to be listening, we would love to have you on. Okay. So we do have a listener question for this week and it relates to part one of the EQ episode. Okay. Here is your question. Victoria, you mentioned that there are strategies to help improve parts of our EQ that aren't that good. When you were talking about impulse control, I recognized that I need to work on mine. What kind of strategies would I use? Great. Thanks for the question. First, let me say it's very self-aware of you to recognize that and amazing that you want to develop some strategies for it. Now, I can totally elaborate here, but to keep it concise for the purposes of the podcast, I will just give you a quick few ideas. If you know that you love acting on the spur of the moment, that you're spontaneous, Make sure that you run your idea by at least one other person to get their perspective. That's always a good plan. Another thing you can do is think back to a time where you know that impulse control was lacking and try to identify in that situation what the triggers were. You may find that there's a pattern of behavior and by being able to recognize signs, you can keep your impulses in check. And then what I would say is for really important decisions, try to create a process that you follow every time. This could be a pros and cons list and, you know, explore the impact of each before acting on the impulse. I have something to say about that listener question that I find interesting. I have a friend who is relatively impulsive, recognizes that for sure, and implements one of your strategies. They always, always, always call me. Oh. And they'll be like, I'm running this past you. I know I'm being impulsive. Is it this? Is it that? And I am like... I don't want to say the voice of reason, but it's just like I'm a board, right? And I can say like, this is what I'm thinking because you can get rolling in your head about stuff like that. And then you're like, it's the only answer (laughs) is to be impulsive, right? So it's interesting. And that strategy works for them. That's amazing. I love it. And I love that you're the voice of reason, which is not surprising (laughs) because we've talked about this before through various things, partly your disc profile, right? Partly the Enneagram, but you definitely have that profile of being somebody who is logical, analytical, who's not going to rush to a conclusion or take an action without considering it. So I think it's great that the person has you in their corner. Huh. <laughs> wow, we should check our mood meters now. <laughs> if you're interested in booking Victoria for a speaking engagement or team facilitation, contact her at discoverwhatworks.org. Thanks for listening. 
Remember, send in your questions to be featured on a future episode and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app.